0: So...
1: Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and you are listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Blake Radio Network. And it is Tuesday, March 29th, 2016. And I tell you, you cannot make this stuff up. So, You know, only the whole world, every patient, could get the same thing in their inboxes that the doctors are getting in theirs. So what's the latest news? Here it is, the latest news. Many of the best U.S. hospitals are losing ground to C. difficile with rates worse than the national average. Yes, worse than the national average. Now, C. difficile... We're not talking pimples, headaches, tummy aches here. We're talking a deadly disease that kills at least 5% of those who get it. And a disease that is understood, accepted, believed to be caused by, well, the hospital that you go to. In other words, a hospital acquired condition. So, how is it that the top hospitals have this issue? So, first of all, now, I want to read you what the doctors have been told. This is what the doctors have been told. And then we're going to take a look at what a best hospital is, how that's defined. And I'm sure many of you will be happy to know I wrote quite a few jokes about this one. Yes, read up. All right, so here. Here it is. Medscape Family Medicine. This is Medscape.com. They are the authority. And educating and informing doctors around the world. Yes, they are around the world. And um, this is what they are informing doctors of. Some of the best and brightest hospitals in the United States are losing ground in the battle against Clostridium difficile. C. difficile. Infection, according to new figures from Consumer Reports. So, reports, it's pretty reputable, we'll take the word for it. Overall, this infection affects 450,000 people and plays a role in the death of 29,000 people each year, roughly 5 to 6 percent of people who get this are going to die. And this is in 2014. So, in 2014, 101,000 patients were infected in hospitals, according to the Centers for Disease Control. And so... Um, this is an even greater uh, death rate because what we're looking at is not everyone with C. difficile, first of all, has symptoms. That's your 450,000 big group. But of the 101,000 in the hospital, 29,000 die. So really we're looking at a 30% death rate, which is uh, closer to what is uh, admitted. So hospitals admit to at least a 10% death rate with C. difficile. And everyone agrees it's, it's pretty serious. Okay, so when you have a hospital that has a high rate of of the seal infections, then basically they are aiding, abetting, and contributing to the death of a larger number of patients. So let's make that clear. So this is the hospital-slash-doctor-friendly publication. So of course, they are going to give you the good news. Hospitals have made progress in preventing some hospital-acquired infections, including those in central line catheters. Now, by the way, they've prevent these infections by reducing their use of central line catheters just by the way. But C. difficile rates rose by 4% during 2013 and 2014, CDC says. C. reports rated more than 3,200 hospitals and found that about a third of them, including 24 of the country's largest teaching hospitals, have C. difficile infection rates that are worse than those of the national average. So if you have 3,200 hospitals and you're rating them, then obviously half of them have rates that are worse than the national average, right? It's got to be. It's one of those things that the average is. Well, actually, it's the an average and the median, but usually they, they, they sort out pretty close together. The poorly performing hospitals included notable, notable teaching institutions, such as Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, the home of health insurance, by the way, where it was born, the birthplace of health insurance, the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio one of the top hospitals, Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, one of the top two, but it consistently ranks one, two, or three among the top ten hospitals in the nation, by the way, Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And Massachusetts General Hospital generally ranks in the top three as well. So how is it a hospital ranking in the top 10 hospitals can have kill rates worse than 1,600 hospitals out of 3,200. In other words, these hospitals are literally in the bottom half. They're in the bottom half of 3,200 hospitals. Yet, they were ranked among the top 10 hospitals in the country. And so, let's Read this next sentence, which tells a lot. Teaching hospitals are supposed to be places where we identify the best practices and put them to work. Okay, let's, let's examine this sentence. Remember, I didn't write this. Just, this is their writing. Teaching hospitals, got it, are supposed to be, they'll cross out supposed to be, which just say they are places where we identify the best practices. What are the best practices? Well, that would be the standard of care. So the standard of care is what we've already identified as the number one killer, the killer of 880,000 people every year. So if, the, if a hospital is a place was identified, the standard of care and put it to work, well, of course, of course they're going to have higher kill rates. Absolutely. And so Lisa McGifford, director of Consumer Reports, Safe Patient Project, says in his release, that released, but even they seem to be struggling against this infection. And so this is an oxymoron. I mean, she's, she's mission... Point. Of course, a teaching hospital that identifies the standard of care and puts it to work is going to have a higher kill rate and worse outcomes. And this is exactly what we're seeing. So, teaching hospitals with low scores in preventing C. difficile, in other words, they don't prevent C. difficile, and greater numbers of their patients, greater percentages of their patients, are dying of C. difficile. So, sit below the 24 large teaching hospitals with low scores in preventing C. difficile. All are teaching hospitals with at least 500 beds and 200,000 patient days. I'm going to come back to the actual list. Because what I want to do is I want to compare it to the list of the top 10 hospitals. Yes. So 28% of U.S. hospitals were awarded one of the top two scores for preventing C. difficile. But only four were large teaching hospitals. And they were Harris Health System in Texas, Maine Medical Center in Portland, these are no-name hospitals, Maimondi Medical Center in Brooklyn, again, an obscure one. This is not NYU. And Mount Sinai, St. Luke's, Roosevelt, in New York City. So these are the only four teaching hospitals in the country that rank well for preventing CSSL. And they say, why is C. difficile hard to control? Now, C. difficile, you've got to get this straight. C. difficile is intrinsically present in every single human being on the planet, number one. However, if you take a healthy person, culture their their stool, you will not find C. difficile. Why? Because there's so many other organisms present that C. difficile difficile is not detectable. You take that healthy person, give them antibiotics, and more antibiotics, and, well, more antibiotics, and reculture their stool, and you will often find seed at the seal. So there's only one way to get seed at the seal detectably, and that is to be exposed to many antibiotics. Antibiotics are pharmaceutical agents, and they are only available by prescription. Or, of course, unless you have livestock, then you can just feed them to your livestock. Okay, so make sure we understand this. So going forward, what what does this doctor-friendly, hospital-friendly publication say? Well, it says two main reasons to explain. Explain, it means an excuse. An excuse like a six-year-old might give you as to why he uh, you know, broke his toys or, or spilled a glass of milk. So this is an excuse. So two main reasons to explain the spread of C. diff one, antibiotics cure many infections and save countless lives. Again, there's no evidence of this because the number of people dying from infections is actually pretty high. And most of those infections are infections caused by antibiotics. But we'll let that, leave that alone. But they are often prescribed inappropriately. Well, by whom? By doctors, of course. By which doctors? Could it be the doctors at these institutions? See, with your excuses either to patients who don't need them or patients with infections that are treated by different antibiotics. So the doctor gave the wrong antibiotics or should not have given any antibiotics. Those drugs are obviously life-saving and used appropriately, but they can also make you vulnerable to C. diff. In other words, it can kill you. And so Eric Duberghi, Associate Professor of Medicine at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, and a spokesperson for the Infectious Disease Society of America, that in the news release. Now, the place that he works at is Washington University. So let's go back and take a look and see if Washington University is on the bad boy And So Washington University. George Washington University. And Washington University is not on our good guy list or our bad guy list. All right. So those are the, those are the problems. But in either case, if the doctor prescribed an antibiotic that wasn't needed or prescribed the wrong antibiotic, So this is, we call it, doctor error. And the hospitals respond. That means they defend themselves. Oh, wait. First, we need a few more excuses. So, antibiotics can, can kill beneficial bacteria that are normally present in the stomach, allowing spread of harmful bacteria, including C. diff. Half of all hospital patients are given antibiotics, and as many as half of those are given unnecessarily or inappropriately. So, in over 25% of people who are hospitalized are inappropriately given antibiotics. That's a pretty high harm rate. And several antibiotics are designed to work against several bacteria at once. For hygiene is another key reason for the spread of C. diff, according to the news release. And who released this? Of course, the doctors released this. And so bacteria and present in matter spread easily from person to person on the hands, as well as inanimate objects like bed rails, IV poles, door knobs, where it can survive for weeks. And good hand washing wearing gloves can prevent the spread of the disease. But less than a third of healthcare workers in intensive care units wash their hands when and how they should. So two-thirds of workers uh, facilitate the spread, basically. And so this is what the hospitals say. And I have heard these excuses before, by the way. Teaching hospitals often care for sicker patients than non-teaching hospitals. You could say this, but when they run out of sick patients, they admit the the healthy ones and make them sick with all the testing and uh, interventions. Well, a major academic hospital in an urban setting routinely admits very complex patients with multiple conditions, he said, in the news release. Now, the suggestion, of course, in an urban setting is that the people living in the neighborhood of the hospital are being admitted. That's not true. <clears throat> Many teaching hospitals, like the one I went to, University of Pennsylvania, actually treat very few people from the uh, poor urban setting they locate. And they, their patients or clients drive in or even a slow in. So the location of these academic hospitals in an urban setting, uh, code word, African-American neighborhood, uh, is really not a credible scientific reason for um, what's going on here, for the increased death rate, increased C. diff. In addition, teaching hospitals may detect more cases of C. diff because more careful testing and reporting. Senior Director of Healthcare Epidemiology and Infection Control explained, well, even if if the other hospitals aren't detecting C. diff, when the patient dies, part of the investigation is checking for C. diff. So this would not account for why a teaching hospital has higher C. diff uh, death rates. In fact, this would give them lower C. diff death rates. So they'd have more C. diff because they were detecting more of it, but fewer of those people would die because they would be detecting trivial cases of C. diff. So this excuse doesn't really hold water. Hospitals continue to address the problem C. diff by educating about hand hygiene and antimicrobial stewardship. But there's a lot to be done. The results reported by consumer reports are disappointing to us, says a spokesman from Mount Sinai Hospital. Now, Mount Sinai recently uh, established a task force to look into the hospital's infection rates and it's investigating evidence-based practices to reduce all healthcare-associated infections. That's what Mount Sinai is doing. They're on the bad guy list. At Baylor, also on the bad guy list, the is developing new protocols to ensure the antibiotics are prescribed appropriately. And that's probably going to only increase the amount of antibiotics being prescribed because now the doctors have to adhere to the standard of care. John Hawkins is taking similar steps and is also instituting rigorous hand hygiene and environmental cleaning initiatives, they said in their release. Now, I actually practiced medicine for 10 years, and I can tell you, rigorous hand hygiene, that means washing your hands before and after each patient, right? And so even for a hospital doctor, this is going to create a lot of abrasion and open sores all along the back of the doctor's hands. How do I know this? Because I use rigorous hand-washing techniques. And I wash my hands, by galley before and after every patient. And so what did I get? I got open sores all over the back of my hands. They were in various stages of healing because I was some pretty good health. But uh, this creates, of course, other issues. And so, Cleveland Clinic says in a statement, our hospital is committed to continuous improvement in quality and safety. That's their total excuse. Additional information about hospital rankings for prevention of five different types of infections and other important safety measures is available here, if one wants to click there. So, it would be nice, then, to match the list of poor-performing hospitals with the list of the top 10 hospitals according to U.S. News and World Report. U.S. News and World Report is the, uh, the gold standard. So let's take a look. And I'm telling you this is shocking If I can't make this stuff up. So top 10 hospitals. What does U.S. News and World Report say? Massachusetts, Massachusetts General Hospital, number one hospital. And Massachusetts General Hospital, yes lower half in terms of infection prevention this is not just any infection guys this is a deadly one this is one that according to the numbers (laughs) we just read 30 percent of folks who get this are going to die Massachusetts General is in the lower half of all hospitals in the United States in terms of preventing this in other words it ranks worse than 1,600 out of 3,200 all right Mayo Clinic Rochester Minnesota let's see Mayo Clinic we do not have Mayo Clinic on the uh, dangerous hospitals list. Johns Hopkins, number three. And Johns Hopkins, yes, they are on the list of, you know, you go there, man, <laughs> less than average, by golly. And then we have UCLA, at least University of California. No, UCLA, not on the bad guy list. Cleveland Clinic, yes. Cleveland Clinic, Ohio. Less than average. Brigham and Women's Hospital, yes, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Boston, Massachusetts. You'll get less than average care. They're number seven in the honor roll of best hospital 2015 to 2016, top 10, and they are on the uh, bottom half of all hospitals. We're trying to prevent death from C. difficile. Okay. New York Presbyterian. New York Presbyterian is not on the list of problem hospitals. DCSS. DCSS. Not on the list of problem hospitals. Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. I have to say, I have to admit, I train there. Yes, the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania is on the lower than average. And then we have uh, Barnes Hospital in St. Louis, not a problem. Then that takes us down to number 10. So what we have is one, two, three, four, five. Five of the top 10 hospitals are actually in the lower half of all United States hospitals in terms of your chances of getting and dying from C. difficile. C. difficile is no joke. It is a serious, serious matter. So you have to ask yourself, well, five of the top ten hospitals in this list are below average in a field of 3,200 hospitals in terms of their patient kill rate for C. difficile, then how is this list how is this list made up? You know, so they say, who writes this stuff? So, lucky for us, U.S. News and World Report defends itself. They tell us how this happened. <laughs> and, you know, I have to give them credit. Uh, they're pretty, pretty straightforward. Okay. So this is written by Avery Coma rowe because it can get confusing. So Avery wrote this, and Ezekiel Emanuel wrote a complaint about U.S. News and World Report's ratings. And uh, Ezekiel Emanuel is chairman of the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, University of Pennsylvania was ranked very highly in the rankings, but their infection rate in this one measure was less than the average for the, the uh, United States. And so Ezekiel had the nerve to draw attention to his institution by criticizing their very high ranking. And so what he said, he questioned the validity of the rankings, and in a follow-up commentary, he called the rankings pretty worthless. Now, this is uh, you know, medical to medical. Ezekiel Emanuel I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he's chairman of the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. So that's, that's a pretty big, pretty big insult. I didn't say it. They did. He used the words pretty worthless, Any questions the validity. Okay, and so Avery, employed by US News and World Report, who writes these rankings, he says, Well, we obviously disagree. <laughs> and he says, More to the point, many of the criticisms leveled by Emmanuel as well as many others. Now, so so there's a whole cadre of people who question these rankings. This is not just you and me um, being overly critical. So there are people who say, wait, these top hospitals are seriously deadly. How can you rank these hospitals as being among the top ten when their kill rates are worse than at least half of all hospitals? So this is the defense. So uh, not only do I wonder about this, and maybe you listeners are wondering too, but many others, this news, and will be forced on record as saying many others with strong feelings about the rankings feel the rankings are premise, oh, feelings are premised on faulty assumptions. Whether that's willful or inadvertent doesn't matter. We need to do better at communicating the purpose of the rankings and the blueprint that defines them. We make the broad outlines for the rankings methodology public in the form of a detailed FAQ. Now, I looked at this report. The report outlining how they rank these hospitals is 136 pages long. That speaks for itself. Which in turn includes a link to detailed methodology report, may confess, 130 pages. But perhaps we are still burying the lead, as journalists say, sending so consumers and others to lengthy explanations when short, clear messages would be better. Oh, oh, well, thank you here then are the major points raised in the Wall Street Journal and echoed elsewhere other frequently voiced concerns and our responses so even the Wall Street Journal Wall Street Journal has questioned these rankings not that the Wall Street Journal is the new big authority but the Wall Street Journal speaks to people who have substantial sums of money he's telling people substantial sums of money hey maybe you're getting killed at these highly ranked hospitals and so The Wall Street Journal serves for many wealthy people as a reliable information source. And the Wall Street Journal apparently felt it was its duty to at least warn its readers that maybe their life was in danger. And so, U.S. News & World Report, this is their uh, their defense. No conceivable methodology is immune from limitations of design and available data. Ranking a hospital in the top ten. That is actually in the bottom 1,600. That's a pretty wide missing the mark. So you have 1,600 hospitals, the halfway point. Other 1,600 hospitals. To put a hospital in the top 10 that actually belongs in the bottom 1,600 is a pretty big miss. Yes. Okay. So they're saying nothing's perfect. All right. We'll 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 buy that. We try to remedy weaknesses in our methods by soliciting, that means asking for candid, that means truthful, input from the hospital community. Duh, the hospitals itself, okay. So you're ranking the hospitals. You're going to have the hospitals tell you how to rank them. Gotcha. Using the best metrics and data available to us and making changes when there's a strong case for doing so. Okay. And so in the 2013 methodology report, 130 pages, it includes more than four pages of changes we've made in just the past six years. So you have a 130-page report that's changed six pages. I'm sorry, four pages in six years. Doesn't sound like a lot of changes or adjustments to me. But hey, maybe I misunderstand. So each one illustrates the reality that even as we strive to improve, each change has limitations, and the results will be inherently imperfect. All right. So he's saying people say our methodology is flawed. What we're saying is yes, it's flawed, but It's not a big flaw, okay? So it looks like they're conceding the point. And so the update makes it possible to exclude patients who already had conditions when they were admitted that might have a negative impact on a hospital's patient safety scores. Now, this is a practice that favors teaching hospitals with very high kill rates. And so what you do then is you eliminate from your hospital a patient that had the condition when they were admitted because when they go on a diary, say, ah, it wasn't the hospital's fault never consider that a drug may have been given that caused the actual death and not the condition itself. And so this methodology that they're putting forth in their defense actually explains why their data is, is uh, not reflective of the reality. Okay. Because they're excluding patients who already had conditions when they were admitted that might have a negative impact on the hospital's patient safety scores. Well, you can't just include only healthy patients. So someone coming from pneumonia, for example, would be at risk for respiratory problems after surgery. One of six types of events we tabulate. So removing these present on admission cases kept hospitals from being penalized unfairly. Many ho- Now, another, a more cautious hospital would not have done surgery on a patient with active pneumonia. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. Removing these present on admission cases. Okay, but not all hospitals are diligent about identifying present on admission cases and coding them appropriately. The playing field with regard to this measure will not be level until they do. Lagging hospitals not only will derive no benefit from the change, but will be penalized relative to hospitals to do a good job of taking these patients out of the best hospitals' equations. And so actually, does this appear not a flaw in the methodology? We don't think so. No measure is perfect. We'll leave it. If it's not a flaw in the methodology, then you don't need to say no measure is perfect. So by saying no measure is perfect, you're admitting the measure you're using is not perfect, in other words, to perform methodology. Gotcha. So compliance with any measure will never reach 100%. Moreover, the fact of the change is likely to make some hospitals pay more attention to present on admission identification and coding, improving the quality of the data beyond their use and the rankings. Okay. So the explanation about the flawed data is, yes, our methodology is flawed. All right. Gotcha. Best hospital does not identify the best hospital. That's a criticism. You know, Wall Street Journal, many people, it's, the, the din is getting very loud. It's not identifying the best hospital. So what does U.S. News and report say? What is their defense? The ratings do not and cannot designate hospitals that are the best for every patient. A one-size-fits-all hospital does not exist. Patients vary enormously in the medical problems they present the procedures they need, and the risks they bring to the table. Emanuel and other critics ignore the off-stage mission of the rankings. Listen carefully. To provide a tool for the relatively small percentage of patients who, first, need a much higher level of medical care than most community hospitals can provide, and, second, have time to look around for the best source. We want to speak to those with rare Are hard-to-treat cancers. Those who are very old are physically ailing, and those with multiple conditions for whom care is never routine. All right. Here's the crux of the matter. What they are saying is we are looking for that, we are writing this ranking for that one in 1,000 patients. Okay? So a rare or hard-to-treat cancer. This is a one in 1,000, you know, you line up all the cancer patients, about 1 in 1,000 of those patients might fall in this category. Are patients who are very old, not old, not old, not over 65, not over 75, but very old. What is very old? We might say it's over 75 or over 80, very old. Authentically ailing and those with multiple conditions for whom care is never routine. Okay. So you've identified a very narrow scope of of people, that one in 1,000 patients. And you're ranking hospitals, the best hospitals, for these conditions that are very rare. That's important to understand. So if you have an ordinary condition, then you should not consult this hospital ranking. Because this hospital ranking is an inappropriate reference for you because if you have an ordinary condition like, say, pneumonia that's sensitive to antibiotics, these hospitals are not the place for you because your condition is not rare. This is important. Okay. So best hospitals don't identify the best hospitals. That's the accusation. And what they're saying is, you're right. We don't identify the best hospitals. We only identify the best hospitals for conditions that rarely happen in humans. Yes. So now we're beginning to understand how it is that five of the hospitals in the top ten can actually have kill rates that rank in the lower half. Kill rates for a particular condition. Okay, it is basically a ranking of teaching hospitals. Okay, the response. Even a lot of community hospitals, no academic affiliation can provide outstanding quality in cardiac care or another service. One of the ground rules was laid down in 1990, when best hospitals were created was that the methodology should be inclusive, not exclusive. Accordingly, almost any hospital of some size has the potential to be recognized. Teaching or non-teaching status is not even one of the measures in the methodology. Our studying pool comprises all 4,800 U.S. hospitals, other than government and institutional facilities, such as prison units, for which data are not available. From here, a hospital can meet any one of four criteria to move on to consideration the 12 data-driven specialties. Teaching status, okay. So the accusations is basically a, rank, a ranking of teaching hospitals. Well, whether it's a teaching hospital is one criteria. Affiliation with a medical school, again, teaching hospital, another criteria. 200 beds or more, or 100 beds plus availability of four or more specific types of me- medical technology. So 50% of the ranking criteria relate to teaching hospitals. This is heavily biased towards teaching hospitals. So this year, 2,200 hospitals, or 47% of the initial number, met the test. The topmost reaches of the rankings in the 16 ranked specialties are dominated by major academic medical centers, that's teaching hospitals. But that to be expected when the goal is to identify hospitals that do best with the most difficult patients. Now, again, we understand the most difficult patients is not something that applies to most patients, to most people. Academic medical centers are where community hospitals send those patients and where doctors research and practice the latest techniques and incorporate the latest findings. So doctors research and practice the latest techniques. That means they use techniques before they're known to be effective, before they're known to be safe. So, of course, you're going to get a higher casualty rate here. And then they incorporate the latest findings, of course. Hospitals can gain the system to boost their scores. And the response <laughs> okay, they say here uh, our critic has cited perverse incentives to cheat, but offers no evidence that hospitals has done so. So, for the 24 year lifespan of the rankings, a single effort. At overt manipulation, other methodologies has surfaced. For many years, we counted only full-time nurses in computing nurse-to-patient ratios. One year, a hospital reported it had zero part-timers. The computer flagged the entry, inquiries were made, and the hospital's nursing numbers were reverted to the prior year, when there had been numerous part-time nurses. We know that some hospitals try to influence physicians who might be contacted for the annual survey of specialists. We conduct to determine which hospitals they consider to be the best in their area of expertise for the most challenging patients. Hospitals launch internal and external email campaigns, send out snail mail, and offer handouts at medical meetings to raise the profile of their institution. Does it work? Well, we suspect it has limited or no impact, given the size of the specialist universe. And resistance of doctors at being told how to think. Hmm. Okay. So hospitals don't have to gain the system, not when you've weighted the criteria in favor of teaching hospitals. Okay, another criticism is U.S. news should not be measuring reputation at all. It's just a popularity contest. Most physicians don't know much about the care delivered at local hospitals, alone at those across the country. So surveyed physicians tend to rely on rankings. And so it's a self-fulfilling hypothesis, right? So the doctor who doesn't know much is relying on rankings. I will tell you, having practiced medicine myself, this is not exactly true. I wish someone had asked me when I was in practice about ranking some of these so-called hospitals, because I did refer patients to Johns Hopkins. I did refer patients to the Mayo Clinic. I did refer patients to some pretty high-level institutions. And I was flat-out floored at the unsatisfactory care my patients got. I, just, I couldn't believe it. It was jaw-dropping. But... Again, nobody asked me. So if you, have a, if you ask a doctor about rankings, you, know, you need to ask them, have you referred people to this institution? And also, have you played golf with the doctors at this institution? That would be a good question too. But a lot of doctors, you know, there's too much pressure on them when they make these rankings. And so the doctors to ask would be the doctors at community hospitals who are referring to these tertiary hospitals. How happy are you with, with the results, with what they've done for your patients? And that's not the way this uh, was conducted. And so uh, U.S. News & World Report defends itself and says, well, the physician surveys the proxy for the process of care within a hospital. The quality of care gives a decision and the execution at every point for admission to diagnosis to treatment choices. Do doctors adhere to accepted guidelines? What protected, what protects patients from medication errors? So here, if doctors admit or, or adhere to accepted guidelines, that's the standard of care, which is a cause of death in 880,000 Americans. And so if you build into your criteria of the best hospitals, the doctors at that hospital must be following the standard of care, then you're building in a pretty high death rate. And there are countless uh, other criteria. But it's very straightforward then. The reason that the top hospitals are actually in the lower half of this very important patient outcome criteria, which is life or death, is that the criteria used to rank these hospitals heavily weights in a positive way, characteristics and features that are likely to lead to the death of patients. And so, as they say, what do you expect? We only have 15 minutes left. So I want to tell a few jokes because I wrote so many on this topic. It's a very inspiring uh, topic. So the problem here, then, is the ranking criteria. So here's a joke to help bring this um, to light. So we have the executive at a mythical publication called U.S. News and Globe Report. And this executive is interrogating an underling who's in charge of this ranking process. And he says, what is this I hear that people are dying and increasing their risk of death when they use our list of best hospitals. The subordinate says, I did nothing wrong. Hospitals that write, that write the standard of care are ranked highest. And, of course, it's the standard of care we know that kills, and naturally the institutions that write it are themselves going to have a fairly um, high kill rate. And this joke talks about the absurdity of picking a, a hospital that has nothing to do with what your illness is. These two guys are talking, two buddies. One guy says, why are you going to a maternity hospital for your open-heart surgery? And the friend said, it's the best maternity hospital. For something as serious as open-heart surgery, I need the best. Of course, he's not pregnant, he's not having a baby, so that the hospital's best for having babies is, of course, irrelevant and maybe even a negative factor for his open-heart surgery. And here's one that you guys out there might pick up on. This wife is talking to her husband, and she says, Honey, you've got a gold-plated hex screwdriver, and we have flat head screws. And the husband says, This is no time to go second class. So what he has done is he's spent a lot of money on a tool that cannot possibly do the job. And this is what's happening when people are picking hospitals off this best hospitals list. And another one, these two guys are talking about a third friend who's dead. And the first guy says, you know, Tom went to the best hospital for infections that are resistant to antibiotics, and he died of pneumonia from an organism that was sensitive and could have been easily treated with any antibiotic. And the other friend says, sometimes the best ain't what you need. And a, another joke here. Again, this is an executive at the US News and Globe Report, mythical publication, talking to his subordinate. He says, So, you ranked the best hospitals according to their ability to treat conditions that rarely happen in humans? The subordinate says, Yes. People are using the list of best hospitals inappropriately. It is not our fault that these hospitals rank among the worst in patient outcome. After all, they only provide appropriate therapy for one in 1,000 cases. In other words, they only provide appropriate therapy for the very rare conditions, which, of course, most people don't have. And I trained at a teaching hospital, and I can tell you, they spent a lot of time and a lot of money testing for illnesses and diseases that just simply... Obviously, just we're not there. This was a condition the patient obviously didn't have. And this is the reason that going to a hospital, the top 10 list is very unlikely to improve your health. And as the consumer reports found, very likely to uh, destroy your health and give you um, deadly condition and cause iatrogenic, that means doctor-induced death, whereas other hospital choices might not do that. So this is a real, real red flag. And this is something that happens um, throughout the medical industrial complex. Patients are given unreliable markers of quality And they accept these markers, they use these markers to their detriment, resulting in the death of 880,000 Americans every year. So what is a person to do? Well, the old-fashioned thing. Well, a couple things to do. First of all, if you feel you must go to a hospital and you actually have time to shop around and look around, um, you should base your decision on what other patients have experienced. And so with a hospital whose care is only going to be appropriate for one in 1,000 patients, and you talk to people discharged from that hospital, you're going to find maybe that they're um, happy with their care, but the outcome might not be something that you would be happy with. And so you want to definitely check around other people who have subjected themselves to um, this uh, top-notch queer and see how they feel about it. See if uh, not how they feel about it, but see what their outcome was. Because many people, um, once they've gone to the best hospital, they're like, that's it. I've done the best I can. They did everything it did to me. I'm I'm happy. That's that. And so you want to take a look at, do you really think this person was better off because they went, or is it the kind of result that you would want? So you want to go by uh, response of prior patients of that hospital. And do you want to go to online chat rooms and check those out? I don't know. I don't think so. Because now more and more um, marketing companies are actually selling something called reputation management. And what they will do for a large corporation or a hospital is they will scour the Internet for negative comments about that institution or business. And they will either write rebuttals, discredit the source, get it taken down. And so because of reputation management being just rampant on the Internet, it's not clear to me that that would be the way. What I would recommend is to actually, you know, call around. Call up, you know, your, your sister-in-law, your, your brother-in-law. The only thing to do is ask your doctor if he's referred patients to the that hospital. And you want to ask for the names of those people and talk to them. So you really need a, a live, verified human being um, and you can't risk being victimized by internet reputation management. That's number one. Number two is do it yourself. Do it yourself, yes. Go to my website, vitalitycastlescom forward slash remedies and download your free report. Remedies are so powerful they could make antibiotics obsolete. And after all, the measure in this case was C. seal infections. And yes, um, antibiotics are the crux of it. You definitely want to get away from antibiotics and avoid antibiotics. All right, so let's take a look at the chat room. The chat room says, the reception is clear. Great. <laughs> Okay. There's all kinds of questions. (laughs) Yes. Putting a question mark is the mark of a question. Yes, that helps. All right. Okay. All right. So people in the chat room, all caps is easier for me to read, all caps bold. No, I'm not offended by all caps bold. I I, I didn't get that memo about that. Alright, we're looking for questions. Is this the place to ask questions? Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. All right. So chat room seems to be largely not curious about tonight's topic, but I think it's a it's a pretty big a pretty big topic. All right. So The big deal here, then, is hospitals with a 1% kill rate every four days. This is death due to medical intervention. That's all we're talking about. have an annual kill rate uh, that's pretty pretty darn high, pretty close to 100%. So 90% chance, 90% plus chance of dying after a year of hospitalization. And so it doesn't make sense to even go to a hospital. But let's just say for some reason you've gotten over that logical hurdle and you decide that in your case it might make sense to go to a hospital. So if you decide in your case it might make sense to go to a hospital, the next question is how can you mitigate your downside? You can mitigate your downside by uh, checking with friends and relatives you can mitigate your um, downside by checking out as soon as you possibly can now the problem with hostels is once you get in it's like the roach motel difficult 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 to get out and so um, why is it difficult to get out because if the doctor recommends therapy and you're over 65, then adult protective gets involved. Um, You're refusing therapy, if that's what you're doing, obviously because you're, well, too old. And because you're an adult over 65, then the government has an overriding interest in protecting you from your own bad decision making. And so there you go, you've got that. And if you're under 65, then, of course, they can call on a psychiatrist, declare you... um, mentally incompetent and then decide for you and this is extreme extreme hazard because many people have health insurance now because of Obamacare many more people are getting health insurance which means if you are coerced into accepting care that you don't want then um, they are 100% guaranteed to get paid for providing something to you that you do not want. Can you imagine if someone had a 100% guarantee that they were going to get paid for delivering a car to you that you didn't want to drive, you had no interest in People's driveways would fill up with cars, and um, car dealers and car makers would be sending bills to whoever it is paying for these cars. And this is what is happening with healthcare. care, what the danger is. So the best thing is not to go into the hospital at all. But there is some... um, The other thing you can do is go to something called community hospitals. Uh, I'm not a hospital fan at all. Um, Community hospitals are sometimes uh, safer. But there's another level of hospital called a private community hospital. Unfortunately, it's a real mix either you're going to get a hospital that's a lot worse or a lot better. So you're really a lot better off uh, sticking with institutions or um, doctors who've had good results with people that you personally know. That's number one. Number two, I am a strong believer in do-it-yourself. The other thing is people aren't, way, way underestimate the ability or the power of the body to heal. Um, Doctors don't heal people. They can't. Why? Because in order to heal people, you need to be able to give them life, which is not what doctors are trained to do. Doctors use dead chemicals. And if it was really as powerful as they say, you could take all these chemicals, pour it on a rock, and the rock would come to life. That's not the case. And so since the doctors don't even use living material to heal, that greatly diminishes their ability to get um, positive results. So um, the moral of the story is don't pay any attention to doctor rankings, don't pay any attention to hospital rankings, um, because the ranking criteria are so biased that the results, For you an individual seeking to get healthier are going to be um, perverse and so in the case of uh, this US News report they admit themselves that they're ranking hospitals based on the ability to take care of rare situations that almost never happen and um, this means that you will almost always end up getting care because the hospitals ranking tops for conditions that almost never happen and that's a problem that means for conditions that happen frequently um, the ranking is really not uh, not relevant and not pertinent and so if you have a regular condition um, arthritis breast cancer lung cancer any condition that ordinarily happens um, any of these ranked hospitals would almost um, guaranteed they would be inappropriate because the rankings are based on their ability to handle rare disease. In fact, to say that they would be inappropriate, almost this is the point. The point is the rankings are irrelevant in terms of your decision-making process just because there is no information gathered on that subject in the course of the process. Okay, that is it. We are done for tonight. As always, think, happens, and tune in. Of course, next week we'll have another riveting topic, and we'll talk to you then.